The price of heaven is carrying the cross. Father John Harden. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of Pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. There's an old saying, prayer is the road to heaven, but faith opens the door. You know, the Bible says that anyone who wants to come to God must first believe in their heart and have faith that they're actually speaking and praying to an omniscient God, one that they can't see, but one that has created everything that is seen and unseen. And that was my case also. I had to first build my faith by starting to pray and then starting to read the scriptures and seeking and and searching and um, really gathering knowledge for myself and then kind of just opening my heart to the possibility that God may be listening. And then once that happened, uh, amazing things started happening. Prayers started being answered. Addictions that I couldn't get rid of were suddenly relieved. And it is the wonderful cross that leads the way. Our first story is from a young man whose father-in-law was a very stubborn and hard-hearted person who refused to listen to the message of the cross, but something happened along the way that changed his line of thinking. Let's listen to that story right now. My father-in-law, Rich, was a 61-year-old father of two and grandfather of six children. He was a professional car salesman for 40 years and one of the most rebellious human beings on the planet for each one of those 61 years. His enthusiasm for going against the grain would be matched only by his rejection of the faith and, as he would call them, religious fanatics. These so-called religious fanatics included anyone trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. As I look back, I could clearly remember the many times that my wife would pray for her father's salvation, and she would tell me, God will save my father, even if it is on his deathbed. As we celebrated a birthday together, we would soon begin to take notice that Rich had lost a considerable amount of weight. After some deep prodding, he confessed to being sick for months. Eventually, she insisted that her father go to the emergency room. At the hospital, it was determined that he would need exploratory surgery to uncover what was causing his growing sickness. A day later, I received the call from my wife. She was so shaken I could barely understand her. Rich had severe pancreatic cancer and was not going to live very long. My heart sunk because I could feel her sorrow. I didn't even consider that the spiritual time clock was ticking and his soul was at stake. My wife continued to pray fervently for his salvation. Rich was released from the hospital two weeks later to go spend his last days at home. His diagnosis was so advanced, his doctors only gave him one week to ten days to live. During this time, my wife would give of herself in the most unselfish way possible. She would stay and care for him day and night. There was no hospice, just she and her father, and what would turn out to be the most rewarding time of her life and of mine. During these days, I would come and stay with Rich for six to eight hours while my wife would sleep to catch up from being awake all night with her father. I would purposely share the good news of salvation and eternal life with him. I would share the gospel periodically and he would say, when you die, 
You are just like a dog. You just die. I remember distinctly feeling that Rich was so hard-hearted and feeling that he would never accept Jesus Christ. That is when I quit pressing him and chose to just love him unconditionally. Instead of trying to convince him of anything, I would just tell him that I loved him and I would show my love by being there for him. We shared many discussions in his last days. I would look forward to our newly found friendship and our sure-to-be interesting discussion. My wife would continue to pray scriptures over him and I would pray at home with the kids. We continued to pray diligently for his salvation. I remember my wife calling me one day and telling me that she prayed all night long. One Saturday, I was working about 20 minutes from Rich's home. Suddenly, I really felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me that I should leave at that second. I entered the home and walked into the family room where he was lying. My wife was quietly sharing the message of Jesus with him. He had lost a good portion of his hearing and could not see very well either. Time was winding down and we knew it. I sat quietly and listened for the next 45 minutes. At one point, Rich looked over at me and said, for the last five or six days, I've been hearing voices. They've been telling me that if I accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior, I am an idiot. My wife then told him in the sweetest, most caring voice I had ever heard, you don't have to hear those voices anymore, dad. If you accept Jesus as your personal savior, the voices will go away. Finally, he said, I am ready. He was so weak and tired. She asked her father to repeat these words. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Her father repeated those words to my utter amazement. Then we both began to weep tears of joy. Then he asked for a pen and paper. Then said, in your best handwriting, please write these words for me on the paper. I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. As he gazed at the paper that was in his left hand, you could see his right hand moving in a writing motion as if to say that he wanted to write the words himself. It was a miracle moment in time. I can only tell you, never give up praying for a loved one who has yet acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord. Until the last breath, the battle of prayer for a loved one's soul must never stop. I made the mistake of thinking that it was over. Fortunately, we serve a most powerful and loving God who let me see that it was not over yet. As I look back on this time, I see what an awesome God we serve. I remember Jesus while hanging on the cross with a lifelong criminal from Luke 23, 42 through 43. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. C.S. Lewis said, A soul is not something that you have, but something that you are. If we're honest with ourselves and we begin to search for God, he says and he promises that I will be there. Seek and you will find. Our next story is from a close personal friend of mine, Bob Larson. He's a wonderful man of God who's lived through many decades when he had a very spiritual experience, uh, a vision, if you will, about the wonderful cross. I'm Bob Larson, and I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me. It's only been a once-in-a-lifetime thing for me. 
I was uh, having devotions one morning and I was reading the Bible and I was praying and uh, I went to pick up the Bible and the Lord said, no. I didn't hear a voice, but it was just that Spirit said, no. And then I went to pick up the list of names of people that I'd pray for and there was that in my spirit. There was a spirit, the Lord said, no. And I thought, well, what's going on here? What's going on? So I just sat and I waited. And all of a sudden, I saw a vision. I was in a deep canyon. And it was, uh, wasn't very wide, but all the stones that along up along the side and along the riverbed, well, no riverbed, had been a riverbed, but it was all black. The stones were dark colored. There wasn't a leaf, there wasn't a, a blade of grass, there wasn't anything growing there. Just a little water trickling down through the stones. And it was dark, there wasn't any sunlight. It was just, the whole thing was just dark and gloomy and depressing. The atmosphere was, and, uh, and it was a narrow canyon and it was going down and getting darker and deeper. And I looked around and I was looking up at the side of the cliff and there was Jesus on the side of the cliff on a cross. And I just was amazed and I just stood and I looked at it and I looked at it. And uh, he was hanging on the cross. There were no nails. What was ha happening was my sins, this is how I interpret it, my sins were holding him to that cross. And as I watched, his head was hanging down. The long hair, dark hair was hanging down. And as I stood there watching this, he turned his head a little bit and looked down at me and he says, I'm doing this for you. He was, he was hanging on the cross for me and my sins, taking my place. And as I looked at him, I saw marks in, uh, on his body and I knew those were the marks of my sins in my life that he was taking upon himself. As he said that, I'm doing this for you, I knew then that he was doing that, not only for me, but everyone else in the world, every individual, he was doing that. And he would have done it for one individual. If there's only one person, he would have went that way. He would have done that. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast, thinktwicetv.com. Clear thoughts produce clear results. Learn the basics of the faith. Download our free mini book. It includes the ABCs with God, true and false with the Bible, and much more. To get the mini book free, go to thinktwicetv.com and click on mini book or contact us with your mailing address and we'll mail you a copy. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from Seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. What is the world's great hope? The Bible tells us a lot of things. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. 
But the Bible also tells us something else. It tells us what time it is. Which is to say, the Bible tells us where and when we are in the big story of the world. In Act 1, the story begins with humans in right relationship with God. In Act 2, the story shifts as humans rebel and continue to rebel against God's good rulership. In Act 3, God reestablishes relationship through a series of promises to a particular people. In Act 4, God actually enters the world of the Incarnation, becoming a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus lives, dies, is raised, and ascends to the Father. In the last act of the story, Act 5, the true King works to set everything fully right again through the Church, and finally returns to fix everything forever. What this means is that where we are in the story is in between Jesus' return to the Father and his return back to Earth. We're living between the climax of the story in Act 4 and the resolution in Act 5. God's victory over evil has already happened in Jesus' death and resurrection, but we're still living in the spot of the book before the final resolution of all the conflict. In this sense, we're living in the final victorious chapter before the very end. When the page finally turns and we finish the last chapter, the goal that God had in the beginning will be fulfilled. God's original plan, to have a people that he can have perfect loving relationship with, will once again be fully accomplished. And it won't only be our relationships that will be set right, everything will be redeemed. In Revelation 21, John has a vision for a new heaven and a new earth. In the new heaven and the new earth, everything has been rebooted so that it's all in line with God's plan. Death is gone, and sadness, and pain, and God's kingdom is now fully with humans. This is why John describes the holy city descending onto the earth. God's dwelling is with people again. In a sense, then, the return of Christ and the redemption of all things is an answer to part of one of the most famous prayers in the church. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray for that to happen in partial ways now, but at Jesus' return, it will happen in full. We can imagine it a bit like this. Think about two circles. One is the fallen world, and one is God's kingdom. Because Jesus has come and established the church, there are some places where the circles now overlap, like on a Venn diagram. That's God's kingdom on earth. Right now, the circles just overlap partially, but when Jesus returns, the two will overlap fully. There won't be one tiny bit of our circle that isn't completely covered by God's. The two will be made one again, just like it was in the beginning. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from Seedbed.com You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Many of the stories you've heard today are available in video format at our website, www.thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. Max Lucado paints a vivid word picture of life. Hot sun, salty air, rhythmic waves. A little boy is on the beach. On his knees, he scoops and packs the sand with plastic shovels into a bright red bucket. Then he upends the bucket on the surface and lifts it, and to the delight of the little architect, a castle tower is created. All afternoon he will work, spooning out the moat, packing the walls, 
Bottle tops will be centuries. Popsicle sticks will be bridges. A, a sandcastle will be built. Big city, busy streets, rumbling traffic. A man is in his office. At his desk, he shuffles papers into stacks and delegates assignments. He cradles the phone on his shoulder and punches the keyboard with his fingers. Numbers are juggled and contracts are signed and much to the delight of the man, a profit is made. All his life he will work, formulating plans, forecasting the future. Annuities will be centuries. Capital gains will be bridges. An empire will be built. Two builders of two castles, they have much in common. They shape granules into grandeurs. They see nothing and make something. They are diligent and determined. And for both, the tide will rise and the end will come. Yet that is where the similarities cease. For the boy sees the end while the man ignores it. Watch the boy as the dusk approaches. Each wave slaps an inch closer to his creation. Every crest crashes closer than the one before. But the boy doesn't panic. He's not surprised. All day the pounding waves have reminded him that the end is inevitable. He knows the secret of the surging. Soon they will come and take his castle into the deep. The man, however, doesn't know the secret. He should. He, like the boy, lives surrounded by rhythmic reminders. Days come and go. Seasons ebb and flow. Every sunrise, which becomes a sunset, whispers the secret. Time will take your castles. So one is prepared and one isn't. One is peaceful while the other panics. As the waves near, the wise child jumps to his feet and begins to clap. There's no sorrow, no fear, no regret. He knew this was, would happen. He is not surprised. And when the great breaker crashes into his castle and his masterpiece is sucked into the sea, he smiles, picks up his shovel and pail, takes his father's hand, and goes home. The grown-up, however, is not so wise. As the waves of years collapses on his castle, he's terrified. He hovers over the sandy monument to protect it. He blocks the waves from the walls he has made. Salt water soaked and shivering, he snarls at the incoming tide. It's my castle, he defies. The ocean need not respond. Both know to whom the sand belongs. Finally, the cliff of water mounts high above the man and his little empire. For just a moment, he is shadowed by the wall of water. Then it crashes. His tiny towers of triumph crumble and disperse, and he is left on his knees, clutching muddy handfuls of yesterday. If only he had known. If only he had listened. If only... But he, like most, never listens. Most people are blind. They don't see the setting sun. And they are deaf. They don't hear the pounding waves. 
They treat this world like it's their permanent home. It's not. They act like their abilities and possessions and resources really belong to them. They don't. You've seen people pour time and energy into life like it will last forever. It won't. William Shakespeare thought about life and wrote these words. He said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and entrances. But he was wrong. This life is not the stage. It is merely the rehearsal hall. This life is the schoolhouse. It is the proving ground. The performance of our real life is yet to come. Henry Drummond, the great Scottish preacher of a century ago, said it better. Earth is a rehearsal for heaven. Today we must learn our lines, know the script, and build into our lives the attitudes and the character and the lifestyle that will please our master so that one day we will hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us before we were saved, before, before, uh, and the principle is before we see the blessing of God, we give in faith. Jesus was God's gift in faith that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible says in Romans 8, 29. God didn't wait to see if we would change or repent or make ourselves worthy. God knew the principle, it's eternal principle, first things first. I don't know a lot about sandcastles, but children do. Watch them and learn. Go ahead and build. Do well in your business. Do well in your education. Apply yourself. But let's, but let's build with a child's heart. Because when the sun sets and the tides take, <laughs> let's be ready to applaud. Let's salute the process of life. And with confidence, Let's take our Father's hand and go home. This is from Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter. It's an excellent read, a short read, but a very good book for anyone out there seeking and looking for answers. An incident took place several years ago in California that illuminates what Jesus did on the cross in order to solve the problem God had in dealing with the sin of humanity. A young woman was picked up for speeding. She was ticketed and taken before the judge. The judge read off the citation and said, guilty or not guilty? The woman replied, guilty. The judge brought down the gavel and fined her $100 or 10 days. Then an amazing thing took place. The judge stood up, took off his robe, walked around to the front, took out his wallet and paid the fine. What's the explanation of this? The judge was her father. He loved his daughter, yet he was a just judge. His daughter had broken the law. He couldn't simply say to her, because I love you so much, I forgive you, you may leave. If he had done that, he wouldn't have been a righteous judge. He wouldn't have upheld the law. But he loved his daughter so much that he was willing to take off his judicial robe and come down in front and represent her as her father and pay the fine. This illustration pictures, to some extent, what God did for us through Jesus Christ. We sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. No matter how much he loved us, 
God had to bring down the gavel and say death because he is a righteous and just God. And yet, being a loving God, he loved us so much that he was willing to come down off the throne and in the form of a man, Christ Jesus, and pay the price for us, which was what Christ's death on the cross accomplished. On the next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast, it's a very special broadcast where we'll be presenting my own father's story called Remembering Rudy. My father founded Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. He passed away after a long battle with cancer, but all throughout our lives, he was a great example of a man of faith. We're going to hear his true life story on the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, If you could go ahead and share this podcast with somebody, that would make a huge difference for us. If you're on iTunes, please write us a review. That will help us uh, be more visible and to reach more people. Thanks again. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Revealing the love and power of God through media. www.mediamessengers.org If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes.